What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's up, my guy? What you been up to? Chilling, bro. It is a beautiful Sunday. It was nice weather here. It is Sabo's Gotcha Day. So it makes two years since I adopted my dog. So kind of spent the dog chilling with him and my parents. And Isabel came over to say what's up. But uh, simple day, to be honest. What about you? Not much. Just worked. Typical day. Nothing crazy. Got off at a decent time and uh, we got a couple topics to get to. So, Kev, floor is yours on this agenda, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, obviously, guys, the NBA season is coming to a close in terms of the regular season. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the league thus far. Specifically today, uh, I'm going to go on quite the rant about the Dallas Mavericks and how they have just absolutely fallen apart and shit the bed in the last couple of games. I mean, we're on a four-game skid. We've lost seven out of our last ten. We were in the play-in tournament at one point, if not above the play-in tournament a few weeks ago. And now we are on the outside looking in at the 11th seed. So um, I'm not the happiest of campers, and I have a lot to say. But outside of just the Mavericks, there have been a lot of changes and shifts in the bottom tiers of the Western Conference. There have been some changes in the middle tiers of the Eastern Conference. So Kyle and I are going to talk about some potential changes and some teams that we're really looking at to maybe even make some noise in each respective conference to see what we're going to do there. And then, of course, uh, we're going to talk a little bit specifically about the Lakers since the Lakers have made a significant push to make themselves relevant again now that they're getting healthy. As it always happens with the media and with social media in general, there have been narratives that people are saying the Lakers are destined to go to the finals or the Lakers are making a push to go to the, the, the championship. And with our resident Lakers fan right here, I'm sure Kyle's got a whole lot to say with that. And then to close it out, we're going to talk a little bit about more of the NFL. So our next two teams on the slate of things that they need to improve before the, the next season, uh, specifically focalizing mainly in the draft since free agency has kind of like really calmed down to a simmer. Still obviously active, but for the most part, those big names are still out there, or should I say not out there anymore. And we're going to talk about the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns, but we're going to talk about the Browns first. I said it backwards for a second, but definitely a packed agenda, a, a lot more focused on the NBA, especially since, like I said, the, the playoffs are right around the corner. We only got about seven or eight games left per team. So Kyle, without further ado, just, just give it to me, man. What do we got? You sure you're gonna be all right? Absolutely I know, not. I know you got a lot in the chamber on this one, especially with loaded. especially with what happened over the past weekend. But no, Kev's right. Let's dive into the Mavs because I know Kev's got a lot to say about this. Kev, we were talking about this before we started recording, and I finally figured out a word that we could go with with what the Mavs have been doing the last couple of weeks. Kev, they are cratering over the last couple of weeks. They have completely fallen apart. They have gone from a pretty solid play playoff seed in the Western Conference to being out of the play-in tournament entirely. They are currently sitting at the 11th seed in the Western Conference. And if you guys know the play-in tournament situation, teams from the 7th to the 10th seed would be eligible for the play-in tournament, and the Mavs would be one seed outside of that. Now, to be fair, the Western Conference is still log-jammed in. With about eight, nine games left in the regular season, the Mavs can still make some moves to potentially get back into a playing tournament situation. But like Kev said in the lead up, they have lost seven out of their last 10 games. They've lost back to back games to one of the worst teams in the NBA with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets are essentially bottom tier in the Eastern Conference. I believe they're the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. They've had a boatload of injuries. They're going absolutely nowhere. And the fact that the Mavs lost back to back games against the Hornets does not serve them well. And 
Also, to add insult to injury, Dennis Smith Jr., former Mav, pretty much iced the first game when the Mavs and the Hornets went up against each other this past weekend. So, a lot going against Dallas right now. Uh, this is not really the place that they want to be in with the playoffs rapidly approaching. So, Kev, I got to kick this one to you. Do you believe that the Mavs can turn it around with only eight, nine games left to go in the regular season? I mean, if we by some miracle make a play-in tournament, Kyle, I actually want you to stay on the camera real quick because I have some some questions I wanted to ask you because we talked about this at the beginning of the season where I thought that the Mavs were going to go. Where did I say we were going to go if we were to make the playoffs this year? I don't know. Maybe like first or second round exit. Second round exit. First, maybe round, the- first round exit. What have I been saying is our biggest issue since pretty much our friendship? Oh, you guys don't have a big. What has been our biggest deficit this season? Not having a big and giving up points. Hmm. I appreciate your contribution to this segment, and now I can proceed. Because this is just these are just cited sources, basically, for my frustration. We've come out flat. We don't care. We're not rebounding. We're not defending. And it starts and it ends with Luka Doncic. I don't give a shit if you give me 60. I don't care if you damn near give me 100. If we still lose, what is that good for? Stat padding, MVPs, scoring titles. I give zero shits what you do with your personal career. You are a walking traffic cone. Again, I I don't give a shit if you're giving me 40 in a game against the Hornets when we should be beating them by 40 by itself. I don't give a shit if you drop 62 points, if that's ending in a loss, which it didn't. I'm just saying in general, just to talk about what Luka's been doing this season. I get it. He's been hurt. Kyrie's been hurt. Maxi Kleber's been hurt. Tim Hardaway's been hurt. We've had the injury bug this year. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that has not happened. But when you look at a topical view of what the Mavericks are doing right now, it just looks like not a single person cares outside of Josh Green and Kyrie Irving. Those are the only two players that I have seen this weekend put in any types of effort. Luka started the game today 0 of 6, if not 0 of 7, and he only had points because he was at the free throw line. And you could see leading up to that second quarter, he just was throwing shit up, didn't care, not getting back on defense. He also received his 16th technical foul, which means he's going to be suspended for the Pacers game tomorrow, which doesn't help anybody, but here we are. You got to bitch about every single call. You got to complain to the refs. You got to throw a tantrum. You got to flail your hands with whatever it is that you do in Europe. I, bro, you said it yourself. The league is harder than Europe, and you're still complaining. You are at the free throw line damn near 10 times a game, and you are still complaining that you're not getting enough calls. You don't ever get back on defense. You never move your feet in transition, and you never get back if you are in transition. You're literally why we're losing these close games. I could literally zoom in. If we had tape, if we were able and it wasn't illegal to go and like show you guys film, there's three or four plays in the first half that I could show you where Luka just absolutely doesn't get back. Doesn't get five on four. Leads to a transition bucket. We lose today's game by six points. I just said three or four plays. Each one of them was two points. Maybe one of them was ending up in free throws. The point is, right there is a tie game. I don't understand. People continue to defend him. All of Mav's social media, all of Mav's Twitter, he's young. He doesn't understand the game yet. He'll grow out of it. He's giving you 40. You gotta. What would you do without him? Luca's the only reason you're relevant. Congratulations. Once again, you're giving us 40, but you're giving up 30 on the other end. Yes, that's a positive net 10 for those of you that are going to come at me statistically and say that that's still a positive. 
But when you're not helping your team consistently or you're putting us in foul trouble or you're turning the ball over trying to be fancy with behind-the-back passes when we're down 15 points, I don't want it. I don't have any interest in it, and I don't care for it. Luka Doncic needs to seriously look himself in the mirror and say, what am I doing for this team? Sure, again, you're averaging a shit ton of points. You're second in the league in scoring. You're damn near averaging a triple-double. Statistically, great. We're still losing. Why are we still losing? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because our, our team just doesn't play defense, and you're the focal point. When you are the guard, you are supposed to guard either the one or the two, and since you're a little bit bigger, sometimes you're guarding the three. If you are shading a little bit to the left and someone kicks it to your man, you're not running that out. You're not chasing down a rebound. You're not boxing out. You're just, you're just flailing your body around. I saw a couple of plays against the Warriors on Thursday night or Wednesday night, whenever that was, and there were a couple of instances he's looking up at the ball. He gets pushed in the back. He throws himself in the ground. And then he's looking at the ref. The, the play is still going, but he's complaining. Over and over and over and over again. This is a repeated offense. I'm tired of Mavs Twitter. I'm so sick of my timeline half the time I'm on Twitter when the Mavs are playing. Because everybody's like, Luka Magic. Oh, he's got 35. We're down 15 to the Hornets. Who gives a shit? What are we doing as a team? Next is Jason Kidd. I said that the hire was atrocious. I said that that was never going to work out. We, by the luck of the skin, or the luck of the draw, skin of our teeth, whatever analogy, phrase you want to use, get to the Western Conference Finals. Congratulations. Everybody this year, they got to go back. They got to go farther. We get Kyrie Irving. We're going to the finals. I told Kyle when the trade happened that wasn't going to happen. We've lost seven out of our last ten. You're too negative. Kyrie hasn't been available. He's been dealing with plantar fasciitis. We're turning the ball over at a high rate. We're not playing defense. Again, Kyrie may be scoring 28, 29 points per game since putting on a Mavericks uniform, but since we got rid of some defenders, we have given up more points per game than we have in the last couple of years. Plural. Last year, we were a top 10 defensive defensive efficiency rating as a, as a cohesive unit. We completely changed that, that narrative. We went and we got JaVale McGee for, over, oh, I think, $20 million, if not more than $20 million. He's getting DMPs. Is he going to go out there and give me 10 boards? Maybe not, but he can alter some shots. He's going to do he's going to hustle more than Dwight Dwight Powell. He's going to maybe get some blocks. He can actually play the center position considering Dwight Powell shouldn't be a center cuz he's soft. I'm just putting out context here, right? This is what we're talking about. Everybody talks about all these these players that don't do anything. Jaden Hardy isn't getting enough minutes. We're not playing Christian Wood enough. He's coming off the bench and he's averaging 18 and 9. He's fourth in the league in scoring off the bench with 16. I think he's third in the league in rebounds off the bench with seven. But in games that he starts, he scored over 20 points almost every single game. But Jason Kidd thinks he's better off the bench. Makes perfect sense to me, right? You're scoring more, but I'm going to put you on the bench. You're playing better, but I'm going to put you on the bench for Dwight Powell. Again, Jason Kidd is a horrible coach. I said that from the get-go. Last year, the, the team and the defense really carried us into a situation we should have never been in. And now we're sitting here on the outside looking in at a play in birth. We were just sixth, if not seventh, just a week or two ago. Yes, the Western Conference is backlogged. Yes, it is stacked. Yes, it is tough. Yes, it is complicated. The Hornets aren't in the Western Conference. Michael Jordan wants to sell the team. Michael Jordan doesn't want anything to do with this franchise. 
The greatest basketball player on the face of the earth doesn't want anything to do with this dog shit franchise. And we can't muster up a win without LaMelo Ball or Terry Rozier on the floor. And we are completely healthy. But we're going to lose back-to-back games to one of the worst teams in the whole league. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's 100% all on one person. That's 100% all on Kyrie. No, the team don't want it. Nobody cares, and the coaching is atrocious. I've had enough as a Mavericks fan. I hope we don't make the playoffs so that we can solidify the pick that we were supposed to send over to New York for the KP trade. Because if it falls within the top 10, we keep it. If it's outside of the top 10, it's theirs. I'd rather us lose out because we're just going to be a first-round exit or a first-play-in tournament game exit anyway. Save yourself the embarrassment. Wrap it up for next season. Truthfully and honestly, I've washed my hands of this team this season. I've seen enough to know that they don't give a shit enough. They don't deserve it. I knew you had plenty to talk about. You definitely went descriptive. There's no doubt about that. But um, no, Kev, I I agree with you. Maybe not as uh, descriptively, but in general spirit, no, I'm with you. When I look at this from obviously an outsider perspective, uh, the way that I look at the Mavs is really you could basically split this team when this trade took place for Kyrie. Because, Kevin, it wasn't that long ago. The Mavs were at least in an advantageous situation with their Western Conference seating. They were top five, top six. They were going to completely miss the play-in tournament entirely in a good way so that they would just go straight into the playoffs. They wouldn't have to worry about a potential play-in tournament situation because you never know what happens in those play-in tournament games. You may be a high seed in the play-in tournament game, but you have one or two bad games. You may miss the playoffs entirely. And it seems to me, when that trade took place, it seemed like that was the beginning of the end, or at least the beginning of this downward spiral that the Mavs have been on. Because obviously trading for Kyrie is a big deal, but when we talked about this when that trade went down, this had the potential to be a double-edged sword. You know, granted, you're going to get a lot of scoring with Kyrie on the floor, but what are you giving up defensively? And with the way that it's looked, that defensive effort is just simply not there. And that's the double-edged sword part that I was talking about with the Kyrie trade. And when it comes to the Mavs and a potential playing tournament situation, I'm not ruling that out entirely. Because as it stands right now, they're only a half game back of the 10th seed. And that's all that they would need to be able to get into the playing tournament. But... Outside of that, I'm with Kev 100%. Even if they were to theoretically get into the playoffs, I'm not sold on this team going farther than potentially a second round. I mean, I think getting to a second round would be a miracle with the way that the Mavs have been playing recently. I think more than likely it would end in a first-round exit. Kyrie would more than likely move on to greener pastures or at least a better situation overall than what Dallas is dealing with. And I think if... The Mavs were to miss the playing tournament entirely. I know Kev really focused on Luka and his, you know, I think I think the criticism is warranted, but I would actually gear more of the criticism towards Dallas's front office because I think the way that I see it is I, I think they they put the cart in front of the horse when it came to that trade and with the way that Dallas had been playing this year, I think they got out a little bit too far ahead of themselves. And I think that trade was probably more than likely unnecessary because 
I think they probably went with more flash with Kyrie because obviously Kyrie's going to bring a huge scoring dynamic alongside Luka. But their overall roster just seemed a little bit more well-defined with Spencer Dinwiddie in the fold, Dorian Finney-Smith. And don't get me wrong, when you make the trade for Kyrie, you're going to have to ask guys to step up. And they, they were trying to get guys like Christian Wood, Reggie Bullock to step up. But, I mean, Kev, looking at this game from Reggie Bullock, the, the second game that they played against the Hornets in this back-to-back, bro, he played over 30 minutes. He scored three points. And Christian Wood got 17 minutes. He scored nine points. And I know Jaden Hardy. I know Jaden Hardy is very high uh, with Kevin. Unfortunately, in this game, he only played 13 minutes. And I've seen Jaden Hardy. And when he gets an adequate number of minutes, if he gets around 25 minutes per game, he has the potential to put up a solid 20, 25-point performance. It's just, he's just not getting enough burn. So there's a lot of different ways that I could analyze this. When it comes to Jason Kidd, I, I think if the Mavs missed the playoffs entirely, they missed this play-in tournament entirely, I think that his job uh, is going to be on the hot seat going into this offseason. Um, when it comes to Luka, I think that Luka is going to have to look himself into the mirror and try to find some sort of pathway forward to be, I would say, honestly, just more mature. There's really no other way that I can phrase it. The amount of complaining that I've seen from Luka this year has just been ridiculous. And look, if you're not getting calls, you, you got to get back on defense. I'm like, you could talk about it at, at the break or at a timeout with the refs, but when plays are going on, you got to get back on defense and support your teammates. And there's just been too many times this year where I've seen Luca honestly play laxical defense, not get back. And honestly, I think the defensive effort has been short from Luca this year. So there's a lot of different ways that you could skin this cat if you want to phrase it that way. But to me, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, it really has been a team failure. I think the front office overplayed their hand with the Kyrie trade. I think Luka, despite the fact that he could score at will, I think his defensive effort has been shaky at times. And I think his overall attitude needs to be improved. And I think Jason Kidd, I think with the way that he's coached this team, with the system that they run offensively, it's very one-dimensional. It could easily be exploited with a defense playing pretty much just solid zone defense. And if it ends with the Mavs missing the playing tournament entirely, and the Mavs are going to go through a pretty rough offseason. And honestly, I'll just leave it at that. It's 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 so difficult being a Mavericks fan right now because everybody always says you, you got to be grateful. You know, you have a once in a generational talent in Luka Doncic. Which you is, have to be grateful. Which you is know, you you have a, a certain extent. Hall of Fame head coach. And, and Jason Kidd, you have to be grateful. You have one of the most intuitive slash active owners in sports. Great. No, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. Championships need to be won, right? All these championships. That's what it comes down to. For me, At least be competitive. Exactly. For me, it's championship or bust. I don't know about all these other soft sports fans or, oh, well, you know, we tried our best. And you don't play to try your best. You try to win. And if we're going to be in the playoffs, if we're going to consistently be in the hunt, if we're going to have an MVP candidate, what the fuck is the point of having an MVP candidate if you're not competing for a championship? I just want to ask you, are you saying that or are you saying people are saying that about championship or bust? Uh, no, I'm saying that. It's just, if you have a generational player like this, if you're going to make the comparisons to Bird, to Magic, to all these players, with what Luka Doncic is entering the stratosphere, one of the greatest Mavericks of all time, if not going to end up being the greatest Maverick, 
got to get a championship. I don't care about your MVPs. I really don't care. The Mavs were consistently in the playoffs when Dirk Nowitzki was in his prime. Consistently. Multiple Western Conference Finals, multiple Finals appearances. We got one championship. Did he win an MVP? Yes. Did he go to All-Star Games? Absolutely. But we were consistently competing with some of the best teams in the West in the early 2000s. And we were taking them far. The, the, the Mavericks are sitting here and we can't even beat the Hornets. We went to the Western Conference Finals last year. That's absolutely phenomenal. I was super happy. I think we overachieved. We've continued to face the Clippers in the first couple rounds of the last two, three seasons, and we've fallen short. I'm not seeing a development in Luka Doncic where he needs it. Is he shooting more efficiently? Efficiently, Yeah. Free throw percentage? Better. You still not playing defense. You're still chatting. Bro, I don't want to hear it. 16 texts? What are you getting texts for? You're at the line more than most players in the league even dream of being at the line. A quarter of your points are from free throws. What more do you want? I don't get it. Well, I mean, my perspective on this is pretty simple. I never really looked at the Mavs as a championship or bust team because even though they did make the Western Conference Finals last year, I think to a certain extent they they did overachieve and it, and it took an epic collapse from the Suns in Game Seven for them to get to that position. But I mean, Kev, I mean you you said it yourself. You were expecting this team to get knocked out in the first round with the way that they've been playing this year. Right. I meant like all sports. You want your team to win a championship. I was getting a little confused. Like You don't settle for, well, we tried, and you know we got an eighth seed, and we lost in the first round, but we got a game. Like, no, that's that, no, that's not what I want. I don't want to go into a best-of-seven series and get gentlemen swept. No, I, like, I, just, I want us to be competitive. And for me, I, I think coming into the year, I think best-case scenario, they would essentially end up in a... I won't say a similar position to last year because honestly, I think they should have probably lost in the second round, but it took an epic collapse for Phoenix uh, for the Mavs to move on. But I think even best case scenario going into this year would have been probably a second round exit. And I knew it was going to be first. Well, it, it kind of all kind of changed when that Kyrie trade happened because Kev, even I was skeptical about that trade. And I'm not a Mavs fan. Great to, you know, I, I loosely pay attention to it because. They're your team. But, you know, when I saw what they gave up in that trade, they were going to take a step back or at least have the possibility to take a step back. I was of that mindset that, yeah, you know, you're going to get a lot of scoring with Kyrie at the point guard position, but it's like, what are you giving up defensively? And, you know, for me, I looking back at that trade, I brought, had they been, been able to keep Spencer or, or Dorian, I, I mean, one or the other, I think it would have been a better roster overall. But with the way that I see Jason Kidd managing the roster right now, with seeing the guys that are getting minutes, I can't believe that Reggie Bullock is getting 35 minutes. He's scoring three points. That's not going to cut it, dude. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't add up. I don't want to dwell on it more, but it's just like I'm looking at this schedule, bro, and what we're losing. Like we, After the All-Star break, we have the easiest schedule in the league. A lot of these teams are either playing tournament teams or scrubs. And we the, the, the one win we got in the last, or the two wins we've gotten in the last two weeks, one was a game winner by Maxi Kleba. Had no business winning that game, even though Kyrie popped off for 30. I was against the Lakers. That was the Lakers. Yeah. We barely beat the Spurs in OT, and that is literally the epitome of a lottery team. We lose to the Grizzlies twice 
without John Morant. We lose to the Pelicans without Zion and Brandon Ingram. We then go into the Warriors game and we lose and they don't even have Andrew Wiggins. We also that, go and lose back-to-back games against the Hornets. That Warriors one might be up there with an embarrassing loss knowing how bad Golden State's been on the road this year. I still believe they have double... Di- they, I don't even think they've cracked double-digit wins on the road yet. It makes me laugh because outside of the 76ers and the Kings, the remainder of the schedule should not be that difficult. Pacers tomorrow, Sixers on Wednesday. I'll be at the Heat game on Saturday, but the Heat have been up and down all year just like we have, but it's not like a top-tier team is what I'm saying. The Hawks, bottom tier of the Eastern Conference. Then it's the Kings, a resurgent year for them. Absolutely incredible. Then it's the Bulls, again, another playing tournament team, and then arguably the worst team in the league, the Spurs. This schedule should not be this difficult. I literally want to go into the Mavs locker room and just like absolutely just like shit on every single player and be like, what are you doing? Why are you sucking? You need to do better. Like, I am not a professional athlete. I play pickup basketball for fun. I didn't even make the high school team. The point of what I'm getting at is the things I'm seeing on television with my eyes that I know coaches are seeing, scouts are seeing, personnel are seeing, teammates are seeing, and opponents are seeing is no defense don't need to be a professional to see that and until that changes we're going to continue to be mediocre but i digress and i'm going to move on we have plenty to talk about so outside of the mavericks the lakers are in the news once more except it's a little bit more on the positive side and it's not austin reeves and it's not anthony davis not making or being at games it's the return of lebron james who came back today against the chicago bulls but unfortunately fell short and they end up losing, but the narratives prior to the game, once LeBron James was deemed active or available for tonight, were, y'all don't want to see the Lakers in the first round. Oh, with Bronny coming back, with Bron coming back, y'all don't want to see the Lakers in the playoffs. And we saw tweets and reports and all these different people saying, if LeBron James could get into a groove as the season closes out, the Lakers are going to go to the finals. So Kyle, with you as a lifelong Laker fan, and you see this narrative and how good this team is playing, what validity do you think that uh, that statement is? I think it's like zero to none. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely excited about the fact that the Lakers have been playing really well of late. But let's pump the brakes when it comes on the Lakers are going to the finals just because they've been winning basketball games and now LeBron James is coming back from his foot injury. I honestly... I don't have time for it. It's just nonsense. Honestly, I think it's just people just trying to stir up something just to say something. That's it. So overall, you know, when it comes to the Lakers, they have been relatively solid over the last couple of weeks. I think obviously when LeBron was out, it put a huge emphasis on the guys that they had at the fold. And we saw guys like Anthony Davis step up where he was dropping 30, 35 point performances. Austin Reeves was putting up huge minutes, getting at least 20, 25. He dropped over 30 points the other day. And, you know, on top of that, you got guys like Dennis Schroeder stepping up. You got guys like Malik Beasley stepping up, hitting some critical threes. But one of the things that I was paying attention to, okay, you have LeBron coming back into the fold, coming back from this foot injury. How would he be inserted into the lineup and how would he mesh based on the time that he's missed? And, and when it comes to the Bulls, the Bulls have been an up-and-down team this year. They're playing for a play-in tournament situation in the Eastern Conference. 
And defensively, they just fell short. And when I look at the Lakers over the last couple of games, they've played somewhat decent defense, but when LeBron's on the court, you never really know how defensively the Lakers are going to play. It could be pretty solid, and then there are times where they can give up 120, 130 points. So it's kind of it's kind of a mixed bag when you look at the Lakers defensively. But I like the fact that throughout the time that LeBron was gone, that essentially the guys on the roster, they were meshing really well. The chemistry looked pretty solid. It's just injuries have just been a constant issue with the Lakers this year. LeBron has missed time. D'Angelo Russell has missed time. Uh, Anthony Davis has missed time. It's just, you've never really seen the Lakers at a point where they've been fully healthy and them hit a huge stride. It's just, with LeBron coming back into the fold and there being about eight to nine games left, is that team going to be able to keep the chemistry on point where you have guys like Dennis Schroeder putting up 20 points in 35 minutes? You have Anthony Davis putting up 30 and 15 for 35 to 40 minutes a game. Can LeBron James overcome this foot issue? Because there was a possibility that he should have gotten foot surgery. He even said in his post-game press conference that there were two doctors telling him that he needed season-ending foot surgery, but he decided against it. Is Are all these factors going to come together for the Lakers if they even make the playing tournament situation? There's no guarantee that just because the Lakers have been playing good of late, that they're guaranteed a playoff spot. As of right now, they're in the ninth position in the Western Conference, but we've talked about this time and time again. This Western Conference is so log-jammed towards essentially the middle of the pack of the conference. If you go on a two, three-game skid, you can go from potentially like the sixth or seventh seed all the way down to the twelfth. It really wouldn't take that much. So as much faith as I have the Lakers in making a playing tournament situation, which is... I would say growing in optimism at this point. I think they have a very good chance to make the playing tournament situation. Nothing's guaranteed. And nothing's guaranteed about them missing the playing tournament entirely and going into the playoffs. That could totally happen too. But this idea that the Lakers are going to the finals or that Lakers fans should be giddy about the potential of the Lakers going past teams like the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Suns, and and potentially the Kings to get to not only the Western Conference Finals, but the NBA Finals. I think it's just hyperbolic. I think people are just saying something just to stir things up. And honestly, I really don't have the time or patience to deal with it. It's just nonsense as far as I see it. But I am optimistic about where the team is heading. I just have to see how they finish this last stretch of the regular season with LeBron back in the fold. Because essentially, this is a make-or-break time for the Lakers. And this is where you really put all the chips in the middle of the table. And this is what uh, we're going to see what the Lakers are made of on this final stretch. So overall, I have growing optimism about the Lakers potentially making a playing tournament situation, but this finals narrative needs to stop. That's not going to happen unless the Lakers literally have Jesus come back from the dead and bless this team to get past all of these Western Conference playoff contenders that are miles better than the Lakers. So outside of that, the Lakers are not making the finals. It's as simple as that. I would agree with Kyle completely. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the Lakers are God's given gift. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that LeBron James coming back automatically makes somebody a finals contender. LeBron is not in his 20s. LeBron is not even in his early 30s. We're talking about a 38-year-old who's coming off another injury, who 
apparently, as Kyle said, he, the player himself, LeBron James, has owned up and admitted to saying he probably shouldn't be playing on this. So I don't know how effective he's going to be moving forward as the season progresses. I don't know how consistent or available he's going to be if they do, in fact, make a postseason run. And by postseason run, I mean a play-in tournament game. And then if they were to win that, a seven-game series against whoever they do, uh, whoever they play against, whether that's the seventh or eighth seed, obviously that's going to be the one of the two. I'm not saying that the Lakers aren't a good team. I'm not saying that they haven't turned it around. I'm not saying that this trade to acquire D'Angelo Russell and all of those other players wasn't a dramatic shift in the balance of whatever it is was going on in that excuse me, Lakers locker room. But when you talk about a finals run, when you talk about making it to the pinnacle of the NBA, the last series, the championship round, I'm not saying they don't have the pedigree for it because we all know that AD has won a chip. LeBron has won several chips. We know that um, the uh, the team, the coaching staff has been a part of a lot of this uh, rebuild in LA since LeBron has gotten there. And some of them even were a part of the uh, the championship run that they had in the bubble. But let's stop forcing the narrative. Just because Braun is back, that doesn't mean that the Lakers are destined for greatness. He may actually hinder the run that they're on right now because they were playing pretty solid without him. Again, outside of that buzzer beater that the Mavs had, they would have been on a four-game win streak prior to this game. And I'm not saying that they were beating the greatest teams in the world. The hardest team that they beat was Phoenix, but that was also Phoenix without Kevin Durant and um, DeAndre Ayton. But they, they, they barely beat the Magic. They beat the Suns by 11. They barely beat the Thunder, who are, who are also competing for a playing tournament game. Um, but again, the Lakers are finding their groove, finding their stride, and D'Angelo Russell has kind of been leading that charge. And Anthony Davis has been playing absolutely phenomenal the last couple of days. So... I'm not going to go out there and say that the Lakers are scrubs or that they're not going to make the play-in tournament. I have way more faith in the Lakers making it than the Mavericks. But if I had to give it a percentage, I'd say it's probably under 5%, unless they go on some magical run to close out the year and LeBron James musters up whatever youth and athleticism he has left and he just starts averaging 2016 NBA Finals numbers where it's like 38 and 10. I just Personally, I don't think it's possible. I don't know if it's going to be something that's even entertainable as the playoffs come closer. Again, for this to happen, the Lakers would have to close out the season by like winning every single game. If they were to escape the play-in tournament, they'd have to make a dominant run in that first round, make a statement and an upset. If they make it out the first round, I will then start to entertain the possibility of it because them making it out of the play-in for me is pretty significant in and of itself with how their season has gone. But if they were to somehow make it into the play-in, win that game, get a seven-game series, beat the one or the two seed, I would then say you have to watch out for the Lakers. But until then, right now, they're still on the bubbles. They're still on the cusp. They have a lot to prove, and they have a lot to show before they even start that conversation. I think it just comes with the expectation of what the Lakers have been this year. I think there are people that have put out hyperbolic statements about what the Lakers could do as far as it being in a positive aspect. But when I look at this team, realistically at best, we're talking seventh, a seed first round exit, more than likely best case scenario. They get to the second round, probably get knocked out because let's face it. When we look at the top of the Western conference, you've got Denver, you've got teams like the Clippers, uh, Phoenix, you've got the Grizzlies, 
you got the Kings. The Kings have been the biggest surprise this year by far. The Kings have been basically a seller dweller for the last, what, 15, 20 years. And they've had this resurgent year with De'Aaron Fox leading the way. I don't see how the Lakers could be able to contend with that youth, especially with the fact that I think a lot of these teams at the top of the Western Conference right now, they're younger, they're grittier, they're more athletic. And it's not to say the Lakers don't have young and gritty guys. It's just your main superstars are injury prone. LeBron James has missed time this year. Anthony Davis has missed time this year. The guy they traded for in D'Angelo Russell, he's already missed time. I just don't see, even if this team were fully healthy, Kev, I just don't think they're going to have enough gas left in the tank because you're going up against guys that are just flat out younger and have more in the tank. So I think the realistic expectation, you know, I, I hate to sound like a pessimist here, but I'm trying to paint a picture of reality. The Lakers are going to get knocked out, potentially in the playing tournament. That's even if they make it. And if they were to get past the playing tournament and make it into the playoffs as a seventh or an eighth seed, First round or second round exit. It's kind of similar to what we talked about with the Mavs. We kind of have had a similar expectation with both of our teams this year. But this idea of the Lakers having this magical run to an NBA Finals, that's just hyperbole. People are just saying something just to say something. That's it. And I know most of this is probably from Twitter. I mean, honestly, a lot of people think that Twitter is not a real place. And with the way that they talk about the Lakers, I'm kind of more inclined to believe that because... Dude, it's not realistic. I think it's just people just getting on there to say the most hyperbolic things about the Lakers that they can because LeBron James is coming back and the Lakers are relatively hot. But no, it's not going to be enough at the end of the day. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's just, it's not realistic at this point. But there are some realistic things that we need to talk about. And that's going to be the overall Western and Eastern conferences of the NBA, respectively. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There has been a major shift in the West, but for the most part in the East, it's been pretty stagnant in terms of consistent, in terms of like locked in seeds. I know that the Bucks, Celtics, and 76ers are the only teams that have clinched a playoff spot via the Eastern Conference, but in terms of how the East has progressed throughout the second half of the season, I haven't seen much change, to be completely honest, in the com- in the last few weeks. And just to give you guys a brief overview... We're talking in order: Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, top three seeds; Cavs, Knicks, Nets, next three, and then the bottom tier going into the playing tournament is going to be the Heat at seven, the Hawks at eight, the Raptors at nine, and the Bulls at ten. There has been minimal to any changes to the top ten seeds outside of maybe the Knicks and Nets switching places every couple games because they're only a game or two apart from one another. But seriously. Kyle, the only thing I got to really ask you is, I guess since the West has been more entertaining, so to speak, what are your thoughts on the Eastern Conference being more of a sturdier kind of locked in type of conference? I think it's just, it's honestly, Kev, it's, it's weird that we're talking about it in this fashion because 
really ever since we've been paying attention to basketball, pretty much since high school to where we are now, the Eastern Conference has been, you know, relatively the weaker conference. But this year, it has been entirely different with the Eastern Conference being the stronger conference just because, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum at this point with the Western Conference, with it just being so log-jammed. You know, that's typically what you would see in the Eastern Conference five, ten years ago, but that's just simply not the case anymore. I think when it comes to why the Eastern Conference is simply just, I guess, more stable than the Western Conference is I think when you look at the the talent that's across the board, a lot of these teams that are up high, that have a high seed in the Eastern Conference, I mean, some of these guys are in the MVP discussion. I, I mean, honestly, just, we'll take the top three teams here, for, exa- for example. We'll look at the Bucks, Celtics, and the 76ers. You look at guys like Giannis, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid. All of these guys, respectively throughout the season, have been brought up in MVP discussions. And not only that, they are essentially the catalyst to get them to where they're at this point right now. You know, when you're basically in a top three seed situation in the Eastern Conference, it's a pretty good spot to be in. And, you know, we talked about, like, with Joel. Joel's been in the MVP race with Jokic this entire year. There's a very good chance that Joel can win his first MVP this year. And even though despite the fact that we have kind of leaned off of Giannis being in that discussion, I mean, the fact the matter is Giannis is still having a phenomenal year, and he's still one of the primary reasons why the Bucks have the number one seed in the Eastern Conference right now, which is absolutely huge going into the playoffs because I think having that home court advantage throughout the playoffs when you potentially go up against teams like the Celtics and the 76ers. And then you can even look farther down uh, the rest of the Eastern Conference against teams like teams like the Cavs and the Knicks. It's going to be pivotal. And trust me, you know, Milwaukee has played pretty tough at they're pretty tough out at home. And we'll see how it goes for them. But honestly, I think just the general trend, like the top 5 seeds in the Eastern Conference, I, I think they're a lot stronger than what we would see in the Western Conference just because You know, we look at the Western Conference teams, you could look at teams like the Suns and the Clippers. They're respectively in the four or five seeds in the West, and you compare them to the Cavs and the Knicks. You know, both the Knicks and the Cavs have been having pretty solid years, and Donovan Mitchell's having a really good year in his first year with the Cavs. The fact that the Cavs are a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, it really goes to show the impact that he brings. It just seems to me just there's so many dynamic players in the Eastern Conference. And honestly, for me, with the way that I see it with the Eastern Conference, I'm very excited to see how these Eastern Conference playoffs playoffs work out because who knows? You could look at a team like the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell. Could they potentially be a dark horse team? I think they have a good chance to to make some games interesting. I don't know how the uh, the playoff scenarios are going to work out. You know, Potentially, they might have to go against teams like the Bucks or the Celtics in a potential second-round situation. But they could give teams like the Bucks and Celtics a run for their money in a playoff scenario to the point where they win. I'm not 100% sure about that. But nonetheless, they could definitely make things interesting. Uh, you know, when it comes to teams like the Knicks, you never know what you're going to get from the Knicks. The Knicks could get on a real heater towards the end of the year, and then they take that momentum into the playoffs, and they can make some playoff series interesting when we get to that point in time. But overall, I think just to kind of really round out this point, I think this is just kind of the general shift of what we've seen between 
the Eastern and Western Conference. I think what you're seeing from the Eastern Conference this year is typically what we'd be accustomed to in the Western Conference. Because with the West being so log-jammed, that's typically something that we would have seen in the East for years. It's just, honestly, we've seen a reversal this year. And it just seems, as a whole, the East seems a lot more stable than the West. The West has always been more stable in a competitive sense, just because I think the West has been the better conference over the last 10 to 15 years. But you can make a very good case that the Eastern Conference is a better conference this year than the West. And I think with the teams that are essentially at the top of the pecking order, with the Bucks, Celtics, and 76ers, I think you could definitely make that case. The East for me is interesting. And I mean, I'm, I'm echoing what every everything my partner said. I just find it crazy how obviously a lot of these teams are playing against each other. And of course, there's interconference matchups where you're playing against the Western Conference team here and again. But there's been no drastic changes in any seating. I mean, like when Kyle and I made this segment just a few weeks ago, if not a month ago, if I'm not mistaken, this is the exact same seating that we made in terms of predictions of what was going to happen and you know how the Eastern Conference and who we would pick to have the uh, playing tournament situation. This is still the exact same format. There's been no alterations. There's been no teams to go up and down, maybe like, you know, between the Raptors and the Hawks back and forth because they're literally tied for the same record. But I can't fathom how consistent the East has been. And to echo Kyle's point, since we've really focused on basketball, the Eastern Conference was always dominated usually by LeBron James, or it was just a, a conference where you had a lot of teams well under 500. And I mean, worse than what we're talking about with the Wizards. Because the Wizards are sitting at 33 and 42, probably looking on the outside in. But there were a lot of teams like the Hornets and the Pistons, and just, people just did not care. There were just specific teams you were like, you know that they're never going to make it. And they were kind of a laughing stock. And yet here we are looking at every single team here, top 10, I'm saying, or top eight, outside of the Hawks, who are 37 and 38, every team is over 500. That never existed in the Eastern Conference. Usually the 6th, 7th, and 8th seeds were under 500. The East was just always a wash. And for this to be the more competitive, I mean, look, the, the Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers are all 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. The Cavs are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Like, the powerhouses of the, the Eastern Conference have remained the same for a reason. And Kyle made great points to say even all the MVP candidates outside of Jokic are the top three seeds in the Eastern Conference. It is a very, very heavy conference. It's it's a lot more competitive than it's ever been in the past. And it's entertaining. No matter who lines up with who outside of maybe the Bucks and the Hawks, I think each and every series has the potential to go six to seven games, depending on how you look at it. I mean, the, the Nets and the Sixers, right? That's going to be a three and a six seed if that were to end today. The Nets have been a very surprising team because every th everybody thought after KD and Kyrie were traded, they were going to fall apart. Mikel Bridges has found his stride. We're talking about a guy that was a career, what, 13, 14 points per game score, maybe less. He's out here cooking over 25 points per game since he's gotten over to Brooklyn. He scored like 30 or 40 points multiple times already, which is just insane. And I can't fathom how, this is a funny stat actually, Mikel Bridges has scored more points this month of March than Ben Simmons has his entire year and a half with the Brooklyn Nets. That's, that's unbelievable. And we all know that 
he didn't play at the end of the season last year. It was just more so of a funny comment because he's had the opportunity to put on the uniform and go out there and put up points. In just March, he has scored more than Ben. I will save my roasting of Ben Simmons and how much of a scrub he is for another day. But I'm just saying, when you talk about the Nets, they're not bums. They're very competitive. They're very gritty. And whatever it is that's going on in Brooklyn, I think that they could make a potential run, not necessarily to the finals or anything, but I think that they can give Philly a run for their money, like maybe take them to five or six. Um, Four and the five, Cleveland and, and New York. Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, two of the better guards in the Eastern Conference, arguably the NBA. Darius Garland's emerging. Obviously, you have um, R.J. Barrett over there. You have, uh, of course, now I'm going to draw, draw blanks as I just had a bunch of players in my name. Mitchell Robinson and, and Emmanuel Quickly. There's just a lot of entertainment. So the point of what I'm getting at is the East has been fun to watch. The East has just been a, a the epitome of just strong, sturdy, and consistent. And then you flip it over to the West, and it's been madness. So as for the Eastern Conference, if it were to stay the same, which I believe it probably will, I mean, again, the, the season ends in about a week or two. I think we're pretty much locked in outside of maybe a, a shift or, or, or two. And I, I really firmly believe that this is going to be the conference to watch out for. Because if I had to put money on it, I think the NBA champion comes out of the East this year. Yeah, potentially. I think really the only two teams that I would look at as legitimate finals contenders in the western conference hey, you could maybe maybe throw a third one out there uh i would probably say the nuggets and i'm gonna say the grizzlies and then my third team out of the Thank west would know. probably be the suns but i don't know what their injury status is gonna be i don't know if they're gonna be a healthy team going into the playoffs and when they go into the playoffs can they be able to stay healthy but when i look at teams like the bucks celtics and 76ers they've been consistent the entire year They've been relatively healthy across, I would say, the timeline of this year. I think the 76ers have been dealing with a little bit more injuries because I know James Harden has been in and out of the lineup this year. But Joel has been a mainstay this year, which is a very good sight if you're a 76ers fan. Um, I know Jason, not Jason, uh, Jalen Brown had that uh, that nasty collision with Jason a couple weeks yeah. ago. where he, He's still wearing that face mask, by the way. I'm not surprised. But, I mean, overall, it just, it seems as if, there's been it, it could just be this year. It could just be this one anomaly where the East just looks a little bit more stable than the West. But I mean, st- as far as stability, the West has always been the better conference. They've always been the more competitive conference uh, within the last 10 to 15 years. But, you know, this year in particular, it's honestly kind of flipped on its head a little bit. The East is a little bit more stronger, a little bit more stable. And the West is typically why well, I shouldn't say typically the West is showing what the East is typically like this year. So it's a little bit of a reversal, but it should be a fun playoff stretch when we hit that time. And that time is approaching sooner rather than later. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for the, the NBA topics. Kevin, unless you wanted to dive anything about the Western conference, are there any teams that you're paying attention to right now in the West? Uh, I mean, outside of, we talked about it last week with the Clippers outside of PG being out. Um, I, I will give the Warriors some kudos. They have found a way to turn it around and win three straight. They've won some road games. They've kind of not solidified, but they've taken themselves out of the playing tournament and they're fighting to get upwards of the fifth and maybe even potentially the fourth seed. Because again, the Clippers and Suns are missing two of their best players with KD and obviously Paul George out. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And as of I right now, think, I think the Warriors look pretty good right now. 
and, and as of right now, the well, when you guys hear this, the game will already be over. But the Warriors are playing the Grizzlies. And if the Warriors were to win, they would hop over the Clippers and they'd be tied for fourth in the West with the Suns. And it is just kind of crazy. Just over a week ago, we were talking about the Warriors potentially missing the playoffs just on the recent slump that they have been on. But like Kev said, they've been on a Warriors pretty good stretch. Warriors playing uh, Minnesota, not the, not the Grizzlies. Oh, I thought they were playing the I, I was looking at the wrong uh, highlight then. I was watching a... Uh, you know what I was watching? Mm. <laughs> I was watching a when you were going through the uh, the West and Eastern Conference things. Um, I was watching a video of uh, the game between the Warriors and the T Wolves. But when I looked, I took a quick glance. It looked like they were playing Memphis because the colors are very similar. Yeah, it's ninety two to ninety one right now. Two minutes left in the fourth. Golden State's got two timeouts, and Minnesota's got one. So we'll, we'll obviously keep you guys abreast even though you guys are going to know the result big game for the t-wolves too huge because they're the eighth seed so they're looking to uh keep that lead over the lakers yeah if they were to drop that game they would still be tied with the lakers at the eighth seed i still believe the t-wolves would have the advantage over us but honestly i'd have to look that up don't quote me on that one but um with that said we will transition to our final two topics of the night we are going to focus on some nfl teams um like Kev said in the lead-up, uh, we're going to focus on two teams in particular. Uh, the first one would be the Browns, and the second one would be the Jets. Uh, when it comes to the Browns, uh, the Browns, obviously, when they signed Deshaun Watson, that was a big move for them. Finally got their quarterback of the future. He has served his suspension uh, based on all the sexual assault allegation or sexual misconduct allegations that he was dealing with last year. So they will get potentially a full slate of games with Deshaun Watson at the starting quarterback position. And when it comes to the Browns, obviously the Browns are probably in a better position than where they've been probably the last couple of years with Deshaun at the helm. But there still are some areas of need that the, the Browns could focus on. And with the draft approaching, uh, we'll see whether or not that they could fill those areas of need going into next year. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what do you think, what do you think the Browns need to do with the team as a whole, with the areas that they need to focus on with the positions with the draft coming up pretty soon. I would say that they have to focus on the defensive side. We know what the offensive side brings you in the potential of Deshaun Watson having a full season. We know what Nick Chubb can produce. We saw what Amari Cooper can do. And obviously they went and they traded for Elijah Moore. They've been adding weapons slowly to that offense to make it more dynamic from a defensive standpoint. You have miles Garrett, you have Denzel Ward, you have some, pretty solid pieces to build around but in terms of focal points i would say you have to give i forgot his name for a second miles garrett some help the Jadavion Clowney signing did not pan out the way that you thought it would he is the consistency of an injured player that's always going to miss time he's probably the equivalent of an anthony davis from the nfl because when he's hot he's hot when he's available he's there but man when he is out there's just a massive gape in a hole of that defense. So I would say pass rush is pivotal. I believe they only got 34 sacks this year, middle of the pack for the NFL, but it could be a lot better. You know that Miles Garrett is going to get double and triple teamed, and Jadavion Clowney did opt out to not come back to the Browns, so they're going to need a second pass rusher, if not a 1-2 combination outside of just Clowney. You got to pressure the quarterback. You got to be able to force turnovers. And then second, also staying on the defensive line, you are going to need to bolster that 
running attack or that rush defense. I believe they averaged over 130 yards allowed on the ground per game this season. And I believe that was somewhere around eighth or ninth in the league in terms of eighth or ninth worst. They're going to need to find a way to stop the run. We know what their secondary can produce. We know what happens when Miles Garrett can force turnovers. But if you're not able to stop the run, that is going to keep the ball in that opposing team's offensive hands, which is going to keep the ball out of Deshaun Watson's. So bolster that defensive line as a cohesive unit. Add some pass rushers. Put some big bodies up front. Maybe add some linebacker depth. But again, pass rush, rush defense. Got to make improvements because now that Deshaun Watson is available... This is going to be the season the Browns need to uh, capitalize on that AFC North. And I do think that they have an opportunity to be able to do that. And I think really probably one more area of need that they probably need to focus on with the draft upcoming is probably going to be their offensive line. When it comes to the Browns last year, they were essentially, you could say, a middle-of-the-pack team uh, when it came to the amount of sacks that they gave up. Maybe you could say subpar. That's... That might be a little bit of a stretch. I believe they allowed 42 sacks as a unit last year. And I will say, the difference with this season upcoming compared to last year is that when you have Deshaun Watson for potentially a full regular season, I think the dynamics of the offensive line are going to change a little bit simply just because when you look at Deshaun Watson, I understand that he hasn't been the most active quarterback over the last couple of years, simply just because of the sexual misconduct allegations that he was going through and the amount of time that he missed. But nonetheless, he is still one of the more athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. And as far as I see it, just based off of pure athleticism, he's probably top three, top four in that department, just off of pure athleticism for the quarterback spot. And if he gets out into open space, he's going to be a nightmare for opposing defenses going up against him. But I think the main thing is they have this offensive line is going to have to be able to give Deshaun time. And I think if they're able to do that effectively, I think that this Browns offense can flourish. Because when we look at the Browns, I would say general skill players, running back department, wide receivers, tight end, this is a pretty cohesive unit. You've got Nick Chubb out of the backfield. You've got Amari Cooper. You've got Donovan Peoples-Jones. You also have David Njoku. This is a pretty competent offense. But to me, this all starts up in front. If the offensive line for the Browns is winning those one-on-one battles in the trenches, I think they will put themselves in a position to be a much more competitive team in the AFC North. And they're going to have to be. You're contending against teams like the Cincinnati Bengals who went to an AFC Championship game last year. They've been to -to back-to-back AFC Championship games. Look at teams like the Ravens. We'll see what happens with the whole Lamar Jackson situation. Maybe the Browns can look at that potential turmoil in Baltimore and take advantage of that going into next year and capitalize on that to potentially be the second best team in the AFC North. I think to me, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I know we overlook it all the time, but really when it comes to these offensive battles, they're one in the trenches. And if Cleveland's offensive line is able to step up, protect Deshaun effectively, I would say, let's say, cut the sack total from the mid-40s with what they had last year to potentially in the 30s. If they could even get down to the 20s, I think that would be fantastic for uh, for Deshaun because I think he'd have much more time to work with. But if they continue to open up run lanes for Nick Chubb, I think this offense can really get its rhythm, find a consistent rhythm, and potentially become a contender in the division. Contender in the AFC... I'm not 100% sold on that. I would have to see see it to believe it. 
and I had to see the, the Browns get on a pretty consistent stretch before I would come to that point. But overall, I definitely see the ingredients are there for the Browns to take advantage of. But I think I think if they're smart, try to bolster this offensive line, maybe go into the draft and potentially draft some offensive linemen, and we'll see where it goes from there. But overall, I think the Browns are in a stable situation compared to where they've been pretty much my entire life, which has been a, a subpar team to be flat out awful. And honestly, I think if they're able to solidify the offensive line, I think they'll definitely have some good things going for them going into next year. The fact that the AFC North is as competitive as it is with, again, if Baltimore were to find a way to get Lamar Jackson back, Joe Burrow, and then obviously you have the youthful group that's kind of rebuilding slowly in Pittsburgh. And I won't even say slowly just because they almost made the playoffs last year. So Mike Damn Tomlin's near. record, I, I I think he's what, 11 or 11 or 12 years in Pittsburgh and he hasn't had a losing record. So Pittsburgh's not a team that you can roll over on and say that it's easy. That's true. Cleveland's definitely got their work cut out for them. But again, with what we've been saying in terms of what Deshaun Watson brings to the table, he's got a full offseason regiment behind him. He'll have some preseason reps. He's going to have OTAs. This is going to be an offense to watch because of how dynamic he can be. And the Browns have been a quarterback away from making in the playoffs consistently because we know that Baker made the playoffs just a few years ago and they got a playoff win out of that. But what he can do is a completely different aspect than what Baker could do or could have done back then. Again, they're one of my teams to watch this year because I'm just Definitely. curious how Deshaun can play and mend with that offense. And I will say, when it comes to their offensive effectiveness, trust me, we always focus on the quarterback. We always focus on you know the skill guys being able to gain separation. But to me, Kev, I think probably the biggest takeaway that you and I had last year was the vital importance that the offensive line brings. Yes. And if you do not have a functional offensive line, I don't care how skilled or how athletic you are, you are not going to be able to overcome that. Nope. And as far as I see it, to me, if the Browns are able to win those one-on-one -on -one battles in the trenches, win those double teams to get up to the second level, that's absolutely critical. Not just in the passing game, but in the run game. You know, you got a guy like Nick Chubb in the backfield, and if those offensive linemen are winning those battles, Man, Nick Chubb could pull off another fifteen hundred yard season, easy. But I will, I will yeah. say though, we, we have to mention it is important for the fans to know, Kareem Hunt is not there anymore. Mm -hmm. He has opted to go into free agency. I haven't heard about him signing or the cape or the possibility of him not rejoining the Browns. We have no idea. But that one-two punch is not available right now, and that is going to be something to monitor for that run game because if for whatever reason Nick Chubb is not available due to an injury or whatever. That is going to be something to pay attention to because that Browns rushing attack was solely relying upon the two of them being successful. Yep. And we're going to have to pay attention to how that happens. But again, the Browns have a lot of narratives behind them as to why we want to watch. These are just some pieces we think they need to tweak to improve things that they're going to hopefully be successful at. So Kyle, the next team we're going to talk about is going to be my homeland, uh, except it's going to be the, not Giants, but the Jets. And we all know what the Jets are good at. Defense, defense, defense. They had Sauce Gardner. We saw what they were able to do with a fully healthy defensive uh, lineup, I guess you can say, with linebackers making moves like CJ Mosley. They just had a stacked defense across the board. Right. And they were pretty much deep at all positions. So, Kyle, I mean, for us, it's pretty glaringly obvious what we think needs to happen. But what are your thoughts on what the Jets need to improve and address in this upcoming draft for the 2023 season? 
Well, I think first things first, you have to address the quarterback situation. Are they going to get Aaron Rodgers or not? And there was a lot of momentum just about a week, week and a half ago oh, that it was a 100% bet that Aaron Rodgers was going to the Jets. And all it came down to was potential draft capital in a trade going back and forth between the Jets and the Packers. Well, those talks have simmered. And I think Kevin and I, we were talking about this before we started recording. Apparently, talks between the Jets and the Packers have ceased entirely on the whole Aaron Rodgers deal. And I think the Jets are going to have to make a decision here. You either go all in for Aaron Rodgers or you go all in with Zach Wilson. Because let's face it, Mike White is not on this team anymore. Mike White has moved on and it presents him a challenge. Go with Aaron Rodgers or go with Zach Wilson. When I look at Zach Wilson, I just don't think that the locker room can rally around this guy anymore. I think there's just been too much drama associated with him. And the fact that, honestly, the level of play that we've seen from Zach Wilson has been very subpar in his early part in his career. It really is crazy when you look at the Jets with how good this defense is. If they were to have a competent quarterback going into next year, this is a team that could potentially compete for an AFC championship. That's how good this defense is. And if you get a competent quarterback in there like Aaron Rodgers, this team can literally change overnight and be a huge contender in the AFC. So they're going to have to figure this out sooner rather than later because the draft is coming up within a month. We're not that far away from it. And if it were to happen, maybe it'll be closer to the draft that maybe the Jets and the Packers can maybe figure out some sort of trade. But to me, first and, for, for, first and foremost, excuse me, they have to focus on getting a competent quarterback. And I think if they were to stick with Zach Wilson, I think that would be a mistake. And my second point, I'm going to keep it on the offensive side of the ball, is offensive line. If they potentially get Aaron Rodgers, they're going to have to be able to protect him at all costs. And when you look at the Jets, they were essentially middle of the pack, maybe subpar when it came to their, I would say their overall competence when it came to allowing sacks. They gave up 42 sacks last year. It's not the best. It's not the worst. I mean, look, it could be a lot worse. You could be a team like the Denver Broncos who gave up over 60 sacks last year as a team. They're not that bad, but there's definitely some room for improvement. I think if they could trim it down into the 30s, maybe the high 20s, I think that would serve them well. And honestly, we, we kind of talked about the same thing with the Browns in our last segment. Essentially, if they were to win these one-on-one battles in the trenches, whether that's in pass protection or in the run game, I think it would serve them well. Unfortunately, in the run game, they're probably going to take a little bit of a hit because Brees Hall uh, went out with a torn ACL and he was having a phenomenal year before that torn ACL. So the run game may be a little bit behind the eight ball until Brees Hall is able to come back and be 100% effective. So it may put a little bit more of an emphasis on that pass protection. And if they could be able to try to bolster this offensive line, maybe look at some options in the draft to just improve the overall depth of the offensive line, I think it'll serve them well. But I think to me, first and foremost, they have to address this quarterback situation. It's the most glaring weakness on the offense right now. Because when you look at the rest of this offense, they've got some decent players to work with. They have Alan Lazard. They have Corey Davis. They have some pretty good options in that wide receiving core. It's just whether or not these guys are going to be able to step up and make plays. But it all really depends on who the quarterback is going to be. And unfortunately, at this point, it's kind of wait and see. We're really kind of in a holding pattern with Aaron Rodgers. I think if you're the Jets, I think you potentially roll the dice 
and go with it because I think he's going to be a better option than Zach Wilson. But as of right now, just to kind of focus on the offense, I would say the two biggest things, quarterback and offensive line. I'll just leave it at that. So obviously those are two massive pieces, and I know what you're thinking. The third one's got to be offensive. We're not really going to focus on the wide receiver core for the Jets because they did make some moves to go and acquire some big pieces. They signed Miko Hardman. They went out and they uh, they released. No, they traded uh, Elijah Moore. Who was the other receiver that they 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 acquired? We were just talking about for a second. You know, you know what's funny? Literally, I was actually we were just talking about him. I was I was kind of drawing a blank on their their wide receiving core. But I'll pull it up just so we have because it we know that they have Garrett Wilson. We know that they have Corey Davis. Yeah, that was the one. It was Garrett, Garrett Wilson was the, the name that I was thinking of. I just kind of drew a blank to that one. And Corey Davis, supposedly according to a couple of sources, is is on the totem pole about getting released and and, and whatnot yeah. because of his lack of it's not availability. A, it's not a guarantee. So wide receiver piece or core is something for, for sure to look at. Oh, they signed Alan Lazard. That's the one that I forgot. Oh like, yeah, that, I bet you my him. brain just. Yeah, you did, him. but I just I had a brain fart. So again, wide receiver core is something to monitor, but it's not something to really like dwell on. As opposed to this next piece, I'm just going to make one edit, and that's going to be the linebacking core. We all saw what C.J. Mosley produced last season. We all saw what he was able to do in Baltimore. But since he's been in New York, he has been the epitome of inconsistent and has not been available because of injuries. And then when he was on the field, he wasn't very good. He was in and out of the lineup, so... He had an all-pro season last year, yes, but the biggest question is, can you repeat that same success this year? Are you going to be able to do that without your running mate in Quan Alexander? You were able to re-sign Quincy Williams, but outside of Quincy and CJ, who do you have behind you? Who are going to be those pieces if CJ misses time or if Quincy doesn't live up to that contract? So that's just one piece I really, really wanted to focus on because this Jets defense is super stout, super, super strong, and that secondary is incredible. But outside of that pass rush and that front four, if that next layer of the defense isn't able to wrap up, isn't able to make plays, isn't able to stop receivers and running backs at the line of scrimmage, um, it's not going to be something that is ignorable or something that you can kind of like live with because linebackers are huge in the NFL because they do that dual threat role where they can pressure the quarterback, they can drop into coverage, they can also play a pivotal role in making plays in the open field. They're known for being some of the best tacklers on the team. If you don't have a good core of linebackers, if you don't have depth in the linebacker room, that is not going to bode well, especially when you're leading, or should I say your leader of that room, is, lack for the lack thereof, just, just not really available uh, at the worst, excuse me, at the most important time. So, We'll see what happens this season. We'll see if CJ can repeat the same success. But for me, if I had to give them one point, it's got to be the just add a little bit of depth at that room. Kev, I I really think that if they fix out if they fix up this quarterback situation, I really do think that the Jets could be able to really contend in the AFC. And I'm not just saying a little bit. I'm saying that they have a very good chance to be a really top tier contender in the AFC simply just because of that defense. That defense. I give those guys credit because I imagine the offensive inconsistency that they were getting probably tested their patience more times than not last year. And I will say, you know, when you looked at what Mike White was able to bring to the table in the short amount of time that he played with the Jets last year, he really did provide a spark, except for that one game where he got absolutely killed by the Bills. I'll never forget that that one hit that he got. I forget who hit him. I think it was Matt Milano. He came in on a blitz and just absolutely destroyed Mike White. But I think he ended up coming back in that game and 
really came like, back. I think twice. Like came back in the second yeah. quarter. Came back yeah. out of halftime. And, it, it was and, just nuts. And he ended up going to the hospital after the game because his ribs got so smashed from that one hit. But guys I'll still never that. get over the fact that I ran into him at Disney. That's crazy, right? That was nuts. But, you know, I really do think that the Jets are really close to having something, but they got to fix this quarterback situation. Kevin, I think that's something that you and I can agree on. If they don't fix that, they're going nowhere. Nowhere. Not even a little to nowhere. Just nowhere at all. Simple as that. We'll see what happens. The draft is, I think, less than 30 days away. So super, super excited. It's in April. It's one of my favorite times of the year, low-key, because I just like to see what teams do and, and, you know, if they're paying attention to... Uh, holes that need to be filled, uh, missing pieces that need to be addressed. And, of course, at the end of the day, Indy's got the top four pick, so I'm definitely curious to see what happens. There have been some speculations and reports that we're looking to trade back. I'm letting you know right now, Kyle, and I'm letting you know in front of the world, if the Indianapolis Colts trade back and they don't draft a quarterback, I may boycott the season and not watch a single Colt game. You have a definitive, glaring, obvious need. There's a massive hole in the wall, and you're just willing to just put a poster over it every single year. I'm gonna need you to start pulling some 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 plaster, some cement, some concrete, bro. Something that is more permanent than a band aid. I'm not saying draft Anthony Richardson if that's the only quarterback that's available. I might have to eat the bullet, but we all know there is at least. Two quarterbacks that you can choose from that are not going to be there at four. And I'm not understanding how the Colts are willing to overlook the talent that's in this draft in the most glaring position that we need. So, again, I'm just saying, I am not excited <laughs> for what we do. I just like draft season. You know, light the Colts helmet on fire back there. Maybe I can't that touch bad. that. That's sacred. That is Andrew Luck. That is my guy. That is fault it, that we even if they were to. Even if they were to go back farther in the draft, nope, that's got nothing to do with the fan of Andrew Luck that I am. I I appreciate the respect there. I I appreciate that, but no, it's just I Kev, I've got this weird suspicion. Your boy Anthony Richards, uh, Richardson, excuse me. He's gonna could be a future Colt. I'm just I got this suspicion. It's suit up, Gardner Minshew. I got Minshew mania, baby. You gonna rock with the flow? You gonna grow your hair out like him? I mean, for God's sake. I don't think it's pretty it, damn long I, right now. I don't think yours is as curly. Yours is probably more curly than his. I think he just kind of rocks like a Jesus flow, but uh, he's got the the good old mullet. Yeah, you might have to get like a straightener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on with my head. That's why I'm keeping my hat on. Um, guys, that about wraps it up for us. A little shorter of an episode, but again, we don't really want to drag a lot of things on. We know that baseball starts opening week is this week. We are back. The Yankees are back. I'm ready for another season of heartbreak. Um, is it? And is definitely got to mention. Ne- is it this week? It's or this next week? week. Yeah, this week. What day in particular? I think like the 29th or the 30th. Dope. Dope. I'm so excited. The, well, temper the expectations there, bud. You know what's Oh, going. I always do. You know what I say every year. I'm ready for like the heartbreak. Break. I like cried last more. year in the ALCS. Okay, I cried. I cried with you on the freaking phone right before we were recording. So they're gonna break break your heart, bro. Absolutely, I'm ready for it. But again, it's it's my team. I always say, if I had to cancel out all teams and all fandoms, the Yankees are the only thing that I have to 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 love. Could be worse. You guys could have lost Judge this past off season, but you didn't. That is true. And Anthony, uh, uh, Vloip, 
Volpe, Volpe, however you want to pronounce it, uh, has been announced to be the starting shortstop for the Yankees, one of our best, if not our best, prospect over the last two seasons. Super excited that he's going to solidify the infield there. Very excited to see what that opening day lineup is going to be against the Giants. So, baseball season's coming. So, for those of you that don't know, it should be relatively entertaining. Kyle and I will make some predictions as to what we think the season is going to be like mm-hmm. come the rest of the come the uh, as the week progresses. But um, other until then, that's everything I have. We appreciate the support, guys. Um, everything that we have done up to this point wouldn't be possible without you. And we are just having so much fun doing what we're doing. We're enjoying ourselves, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for me. Yeah, Kev, at least we didn't die from allergies in this episode. Facts. I didn't have a a sniffle or nothing. You know what that means. I'm not going to be asleep tonight now that I said that. Yeah, I know. You were talking about it before we started. Uh, You had a pretty rough morning. Yeah, I don't know why. The mornings are always just the worst. I mean, granted, we had a couple bad nights, but I mean, when we're talking about the morning, I'm I'm waking up, and I'm just like, just leaking. Honestly, I've been good. I had one little sinus flare-up, I think, in one of the segments, but I think outside of that, bro, I was fine. So I'll take that any day. So I, honestly, I've been pretty good the last couple of days, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You never know. Yeah. But uh, no, outside of that, uh, I pretty much piggyback off of everything that Kev said. We definitely appreciate the support. I sound like a broken record at this point, but if you guys were watching us on YouTube, listening to us on the audio platforms, we definitely appreciate the support wherever it comes from. Uh, like Kev says, or like Kev said, excuse me, uh, with baseball season approaching, we'll do some predictions. Uh, that'll be pretty fun. I know we don't talk about baseball a lot on here, but it'll be nice to kind of swing into into that as the season starts. Uh, swing. I, I literally did that without even thinking it. Just worked out perfectly, you know? Those are the best ones. But outside of that, uh, we'll still have plenty of content for you guys. Uh, the playoffs are coming in the NBA, so definitely expect us to ramp up uh, some more NBA content for you guys, and we'll just go from there. But outside of that, once again, thank you guys for supporting us, listening to our podcast, and we will see you guys later. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.